ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Djokovic is king of New York once again in an extraordinary 24th Grand Slam title. If it feels like you've seen this movie before, it's because you kind of have two dozen times. Djokovic found old ways to win and new ways to celebrate. Hugs with family and celebs, matching merch for his team and a tribute to Kobe Bryant. Novak's victory can make you feel like you're experiencing tennis deja vu. But there was also a sense of a changing of the guard this year in New York. 19-year-old American Coco Goff broke through for a stunning home slam victory and headlined a new generation emerging. Today we dig into what this tournament told us about tennis, old and new. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Christopher Clary is a US tennis writer. He has covered in excess of 100 Grand Slams. You've probably seen his work on Offsiders during the Australian Open. Chris Novak Djokovic, he continues to find new levels of achievement. Daniel Medvedev kind of summed it up when he asked... I don't know when are you planning to to slow down a little bit, but... uh... I don't know what else there is left to say about this incredible athlete. Daniel actually said in the uh, award ceremony. Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, I want to ask Novak, what are you still doing here? Come on. <laughs> Which I thought was great. You know, it was just uh, sort of summed it up. I mean, just even his own peers in this incredible era of longevity for champions are still amazed by what he's doing. Congrats, uh, congrats to you and your team. I mean, 24. Uh, I feel like I have not a bad career and I have 20 titles. You have 24 Grand Slams. Wow. And, you know, it wasn't Novak's best performance in a final by any means, but when he needed to, he fought through some physical difficulties in the second set, as he often does. He might be ready to pass out if he didn't know his pass. He would think he was in big trouble, but we know better now, don't we? Mm. And he basically, uh, he really found a way to win the points that mattered most. He played some wonderful uh, points at the net. So when Raleigh was able to lock down enough on the baseline rallies, and Medvedev just wasn't quite sharp enough. I don't think he quite had the uh, the freshness in the head or the legs or the belief to uh, to pull it off today. It was interesting to see at the end of play, Novak put on a Kobe Bryant T-shirt. Can you tell us what the significance of that tribute was in such a pivotal career moment as he reached 24 Grand Slam titles? Yeah, I think you know Novak at this point is trying to find um, connections to what he's doing, and I don't think motivation is a problem for him. But I think he's trying to find the symbolism and things. And he was quite close to Kobe Bryant, the American basketball star, you know, who passed away in an aviation crash a few years ago. And Kobe was one of the biggest stars, obviously, in global sport and U.S. sport. And he wore number twenty-four. You know, twenty-four is the jersey that he wore when he became a legend of Lakers and uh, world basketball. So I thought, you know, it could be a nice symbolic thing to uh, to acknowledge him for all the things he's done. He was somebody he spoke with quite a lot, according to Novak, and was a mentor for him and talked about enduring excellence. Uh, Kobe was close, a uh, close friend. We, we chatted a lot about uh, about the winning, you know, winner's mentality. Obviously, um, Novak has achieved that in spades, as we say in the U.S., and I think it's been a real meaningful connection for Novak. I know it was hard for him when Kobe passed, of course, with his daughter as well, and, and Djokovic has kept that flame and that connection alive through the years, so I think it was a very appropriate gesture. If we look at the bigger picture of tennis, while Novak's victory was... A win for the established royalty of the sport. Coco Goff's victory spoke to a breakthrough of a new generation. And as a tennis writer who has seen athletes come and go, ones that can electrify the sport, 
Do you get the sense with Coco that she could dominate this sport both on and off court? Look, I think she's a big, big plus for tennis globally and especially in my country. She really is somebody who has a great deal of appeal. And I think she's somebody who uses her platform so well. She's so well-spoken for a 19-year-old girl. She definitely is somebody who's able to uh, to connect across society. And you can see that after she won that very emotional final against Sabalenka, very tough comeback. You got Barack Obama and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris chiming in almost right away. The support that I've gotten is incredible, obviously, from President Obama and, and former First Lady Michelle. is crazy, you know, that they were here in my first round match and now... Uh, I'm a different person now, and then I saw I saw pretty much every celebrity they shown on on that screen. So yeah, I've been embracing like everyone. It doesn't make me more nervous. It honestly helps me keep my mind off the match, and I'm like, okay, I got to win in front of these people. <laughs> so she's somebody who who clearly connects to the society at large, and she's uh, somebody quite outspoken, but I think very eloquent at times about social issues as well. You know, I always speak about you know preaching about what you feel and what you believe in. And it was done in a peaceful way, so I can't get too mad of it. If that's what they felt that they needed to do to get their voices heard, I can't really get upset at it. She's also somebody who is kind of uh, unlike a lot of teenagers in the past in tennis, who sort of emerged out of nowhere, like an Emma Raducanu who won the U.S. Open a couple years ago at age 18. Nobody outside of a really elite British tennis community would have known about her, really. And she wins. But Coco is somebody who's been a star since she was 15. I mean, she got to the fourth round at Wimbledon in 2019, and she... uh, beat Venus Williams in her first Grand Slam singles match. So she got on the map right away, but she hasn't had that big explosion into Grand Slam champion uh, until now. And so it's given her kind of a nice runway to get to know the landscape and to get connected with people. And I think now she's really ready to play a big role if she can sustain this. And we'll see. I mean, it's a competitive world of women's tennis. Four champions and four majors this year. No guarantees Coco will win all the time by any means, but I think she can she can take some flight from here for sure. It's interesting to hear you touch on that sense of maturity because whether it's her views on having her you know, earlier match in this tournament interrupted by climate change protesters. Throughout history, moments like this can, are definitely defining moments. I believe, you know, that I believe climate in, in climate change and I don't really know exactly what, you know, what they were protesting. I know it was about the environment and, you know, 100 percent, you know, believe in that. I think there's things that we can do better. Or at times she's spoken about a desire to keep a sense of perspective around what it is she does for a living. In a way, it's pressure, but it's not. I mean, there's people struggling to feed their families. There's people you don't know when their next meal is going to come from. There's people who have to pay their bills, and that's real pressure. That's real hardship. That's real life. And this, I'm in a very privileged position. I'm getting paid to do what I love and getting support to do what I love, and that's something that I don't take for granted. So really, I just put my life into perspective. How impressive is that sense of maturity from a 19-year-old, and how do you think she's been able to foster that beyond her her team as well? You know, I think her, her family is a family of educators. Um, they're also athletes. I mean, her dad was a college basketball player. Her mom was a college track star. And they, they know elite ath- athletics for sure. But they also know, um, I think, through their, her family. Her mom is a teacher, and a lot of her, her relatives through the years have been teachers as well. Her grandmother was was a bit of an activist and a pioneer, was integrating schools as a student when she was young. So I think Coco's grown up with that social consciousness and social awareness. And then you also have to realize when she sort of emerged. And she emerged in 2019 at the pro level when Naomi Osaka was carrying the banner for things like Black Lives Matter within the following year or two. And and Coco's family, uh, I think, has been uh, you know, very engaged in issues of uh, racial awareness and equity in the country. It's not surprising to me that she'd be able to speak to those issues. I think they're probably issues that are spoken about around the golf uh, dinner table quite a lot. 
I think she was raised with the idea that she wouldn't just be a tennis player. She could be uh, somebody who could speak to the wider culture. And obviously she's not a professional politician or a professional speech maker, but I think she does amazingly well. And you can see when she took that microphone <laughs> after mm. her victory. Can I take the mic for this one? Sure. Thank you. Okay. Um... She was ready for the moment. She really was. And it was interesting to hear her expand further in the post-match press conference, particularly I noted when she was talking about how she reads social media and actually uses hate as fuel. I think at one point she referred to being on sort of Twitter 10 minutes before her her match. I see the comments. People think I don't see them, but I see I'm very aware of tennis Twitter. I know y'all usernames, um, so I know who's talking trash. It was wonderfully human, but it also felt a little bit precarious, I thought. You know, we've seen teenage stars burst onto the scene in the world of tennis only to struggle as there's a ramping up of attention. Do you think the American can deal with the sort of added scrutiny and focus and the all-encompassing nature of what she's about to sort of experience for the next stage of her career? Yeah, I think it's a really good point, Patrick. I, I was quite surprised by that. I would have thought that, you know, something that she and her coaches and her parents would have talked about how toxic that can be. As somebody who's covered Coco from the beginning, Part of me was when she talked about the fact she was thanking her haters, you know, for giving her the motivation and not doubting her and everything else. Honestly, thank you to the people who didn't believe in me. Um, I mean, you know, I've tried my best to carry this with grace and I've been doing my best. So those who thought who were putting water on my fire, you're really adding gas to it. And now I'm really burning so bright right now. I personally feel within the tennis community, be it Australia, be it the U.S., be it wherever, that Coco has been treated with a lot of sensitivity probably because of past transgressions in tennis over the years with young athletes. People have made a lot of mistakes. And I think people really gave her time and runway to achieve what she was bound to achieve at some point. But they, they weren't really rushing her, I didn't feel like, within the tennis community. And yet, despite everybody's care and handling, outside social media, that's a whole different world. So I think what she picked up on with the negativity was from that outside world, not from the inside world of tennis. So I got a little bit uh, sad about that, thinking that all those great efforts that were made I'm not sure she registered all that, but in a sense, she was able to overcome it and use it for fuel. So I guess it, it worked for her, but I don't think it's a long-term great sustainable way to go. If Goff is, you know, part of that new generation and we acknowledge the fact that Novak Djokovic has been able to continue the old guard in the men's side of things, it did feel in many ways that this tournament was a bit of a changing of that guard. You know, the likes of Francis Tiafo, Ben Shelton, Taylor Fritz on the men's side, obviously Goff on the women's. Do you get that sense that things are changing or is this just more journalists sort of hoping for that change? No, not at all, Patrick. I mean, I think honestly you can look at Novak's year and go, well, he was one, one match, one set from, you know, doing the Grand Slam, but no one's done in the men's game since Laver in 69. And yet, I mean, it's been a year that's had a lot to do with Carlos Alcaraz, hasn't it? And he's just 20 years old. He's most, one of the most exciting talents in sports. The Wimbledon final, I think, was the match of the year. It's a fantastic match, and he won that. Djokovic is deposed as a new king of Sandakor, Carlos Alcaraz of Spain. That's certainly a sign of what's to come in tennis and that there's generational change already. He's been number one for a lot of the year. And then I think what Coco did as well, I, I don't think Coco's ready to dominate the game. I don't think she has that sort of ability yet to do that you know, week to week. But I think she's somebody who can win other majors and play a big role in the sport. And then you've got players like Naomi Osaka, who's going to return to the game, looks like almost for sure, in Australia in 2024 and is still quite young. Players like Marketa Vondrosova, the Czech player who doesn't have that international charisma, perhaps, but is a fine player and also very young. So there's a, there's a lot of uh, depth in women's tennis, but a lot of young talent in women's tennis as well. I mean, Ash Barty left a hole, and I think it's been filled. Igus Fiontech's still in early 20s. He's been number one for 75 weeks. 
And Sabalenka, who lost the final here at the U.S. Open and won in Australia, she's only 25. So I think this, the sport is renewing itself very much so. And, and Novak is, is all the more amazing for his ability to stay in there and, and hold on the way he has. Christopher Clary, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Patrick, all my best to you. Always good to talk to Australia. Headlines. And another head has rolled in Spanish football with Luis Rubiales announcing his resignation over his unsolicited kiss on player Jenny Hermoso. He joins coach Jorge Vilda in the departure lounge, but the administrator used the moment to paint himself as the victim, saying, I have faith in the truth and I'm going to do everything in my power to make it prevail. If you need more context, we actually did a podcast on the entire episode last week. Scroll back, take a listen, we'll get you across it. No shortage of drama in rugby league in the last 24 hours. Outgoing Raider Jack Whiten is facing possible suspension after he was accused of biting Tyson Gamble in Newcastle's thrilling finals win over Canberra. And we've got a bit of a complaint here for a bite. Oh, yeah, you can see the bite mark. I can see it right there. Yes, he's been bitten. So it's on report... So a biting allegation against Jack Whiten and looking at the replay, it looks like he bit him. It could mean Whiten's new club, South Sydney, will miss their star recruit in the early stages of the 2024 season. Elsewhere, the Cowboys and the NRL Integrity Unit are investigating a photo of Valentine Holmes posted to his own Instagram of him holding a white packet of powder in his mouth. Basketball and Germany defeated Serbia to claim the World Cup gold medal. The United States did not even grab a medal. They were beaten by Canada in the bronze medal game. The tournament kind of feels like a missed opportunity from an Australian perspective. In golf, Minji Lee has won a dramatic playoff victory over Charlie Hull to claim her first LPGA Tour victory in more than a year. And the Socceroos blew a 2-0 lead to draw with Mexico in a friendly in Dallas. The result was further south by an ankle injury to Jackson Irvine. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Poppy Penny. Thanks to Channel 9 and Wimbledon for the extra audio used in this episode. Hi, if you like sports stories, you should take a listen to Episode 7 of Headroom, The Belief Series. You'll meet Amna Kara Hassan, an Australian Muslim woman who founded the Auburn Tigers. This was one of the first women's football teams in Western Sydney and one of the first to encourage Muslim women to come and play sport. But if you like sports daily, check out my interview with Amna Kara Hassan on Headroom, The Belief Series with me, James Valentine.